This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. It's good to see you back after our short hiatus. Sorry for missing a few weeks. I was in Eretz And then there was, of course, uh, Shavuos. Okay, so let's dive right in. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Let's not dive right in. Let's start off with appreciation and thanks, because nothing is as good as something that starts off with appreciation and thanks. First of all, I want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshua Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for putting on this incredible Lunch and Learn. I appreciate you for coming. Feel free to bring a friend next week. We'll be on for the rest of June. July is up in the air, but we are on for the rest of June. So next week, feel free to bring a friend. And I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. And we now know that it provides over 12 million hours a year of downloaded Torah. That's an incredible amount of Torah. So uh, that's that's impressive. They actually just had a, a big charity campaign in which they were able to raise Baruch Hashem $3 million to be able to launch themselves. They've got a staff of about 20 people. Just they got UX designers and, and, and software developers and everything to make sure you think it's, it's an app. It's a website. Big deal. No, no, it's a big deal. When you're de- delivering 12 million hours of content a year, it's a big deal. So they've got an incredible staff and Baruch Hashem. The Jewish people opened up their hearts and their wallets just recently this past week. It just ended on Monday. And uh, and hopefully that will give Torah Anytime the ability to continue providing this incredible service to the Jewish people for the next 15 years. <laughs> I doubt $3 million is going to go 15 years, not with today's inflation. Okay. What I want to talk about today, you know, a lot of times a speaker will get up and he say, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. Right? Meaning you guys are perfect. I've got my issues. So I'm talking to me. Now, this time I'm going to start off with saying, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. Because this is something that really affected me this week. And uh, and I want to really address it. So this week, um, like I mentioned before, actually, was the Torah Anytime campaign. And Baruch Hashem, they were able to raise $3 million. And I did get involved. I don't raise money for anything, really, ever. Baruch Hashem, you know, Partners is an incredible organization. And they enabled me to just teach Torah without requiring me to fundraise at all. I don't generally push fundraisers, but for this one organization, Torah Anytime, I have so much Hakar Satov, I have so much appreciation to them that I really, you know, I, I created a page and I was setting out on my journey to raise uh, money for them. And I did send out requests. I put it up on my WhatsApp status. I, I sent out requests and a bunch of them were ignored meaning that people didn't respond at all. Not that they didn't give me any money, they didn't respond, which is okay. I understand where it's coming from. I know that I'm guilty of this myself. Today, we are at a time in the Jewish people where the needs are so great. As there used to be, a, a, there's a, a special tefillah that's mentioned in the Gemara. It says, Merubim tzarche amcha. The needs of your nation are so great. We may be a small people, we may be 14 million people, but the needs of the Jewish people are tremendous. And because of that, there are on an incredible number of organizations out there trying to raise the funds and create and provide the services. Now, just to understand, by the way, what we provide for the Jewish people, there is no other nation in the world that provides for their people. Rabbi Ozer Levine, can you do me a favor? You can maybe tell the people in the office that it might be a good time to switch that recording. They don't want to hear my voice, and I don't know if you guys want to hear those people recording in the room next door. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, for example, there's an organization called Hatzalah, which we've talked about before over here. Hatzalah provides free emergency medical services for people all over the globe. How many Hatzalah members are there in the world? Thousands and thousands and thousands. And each one of them requires an incredible amount of training. They all do it as volunteers, but they also require equipment and ambulances. Just now, we recently had a charity campaign. We raised $400,000 to be able to get a proper ambulance here in Detroit for Hatzalah. An ambulance is not a cheap vehicle, right? It looks like a box truck, but it's filled with life-saving equipment, and it's very, very expensive. So there was recently a charity campaign for that. Now, who else in the world, show me, I want you to show me, anywhere else in the world where there is thousands or 
even in any community where there are dozens or hundreds of dedicated volunteers who spend 600 hours, which is almost a third of a year's full-time work, just learning to become EMTs, just learning to become paramedics is way more hours. And there's two guys here in town that are constantly going for specialized training in case there's a, a building that falls, in case there's a child who's trapped on a roof, all kinds of specialized emergency training because they want to be able to service us in a way that we, we, we might need at some point. Show me anywhere else in the world that it has this. Again, show me anywhere else in the world. Any other organization, any other religion that provides what Hatzalah provides to the world. That's just Hatzalah. Here in Detroit, we have something called Chaverim. Chaverim is basically AAA for free. If your car breaks down, if your battery is dead, you don't call AAA. AAA will come out in about four hours, whatever it is. And then if they have to tow your car more than... You know, 70, three quarters of a mile, they start charging you, you know, 200 miles for the $200 for the first mile and, and so on and so forth. Here you call Chaverim and they come out, dedicated volunteers. We've used their services in my family multiple times and they're happy to do it. They do it with a smile. I've used their services in Passaic, New Jersey. I've used their services here in Detroit. I've used their services in, update, in upstate uh, New York. We can go on with the gemachs, the beaker cholims, going to any hospital in New York or New Jersey where there's larger concentrations. They have entire rooms. When my, my, when my father-in-law was sick, my wife and I had the incredible zchus, the incredible merit to spend the last Shemini Atzeres and Simchas Torah with my father-in-law in the hospital, in North Shore Hospital in Long Island. We went there. There was a beaker cholim house literally backed up against the, uh, the, the back lot of the hospital. There's a little door through the back lot. You don't have to walk around the corner. You just walk through the back parking lot, and there's a house there with five different rooms. There was multiple different families staying there at the time. My wife and I were told, we have, we have room three. And it was a beautiful house. It was furnished. There was reading materials put out for us. Unbelievable. It was like literally, there was like mishpacha magazines. And there was reading materials there. There was books. There was farm. There was sidurim. There was unbelievable. So what the Jewish people provide how about Satmar Beaker Cholim in New York? The amount of meals they're producing every day, thousands of meals to be distributed in hospitals. Here in Detroit, even, we're a small, tiny Jewish community. But there's a Beaker Cholim pantry in Beaumont, in Providence, right? So if people are there and they're stuck there for Yumtiv, right here in Detroit also, even Detroit, our tiny little Hamisha hamlet of Detroit, there's someone who bought a house right next to Beaumont. And it's available for people who need to stay with a family member in Beaumont overnight, Shabbos or Yomtif, and they won't let you stay overnight there in the hospital. So in, not since COVID. <laughs> so what do you do? There's a, someone who bought a house for the sole purpose of letting other people stay in it. The chesed of the Jewish people is unbelievable. We'll maybe get back to that in a, in a, in a moment. But because of that, all that chesed, all that kindness requires tremendous amounts of funds. And because of that, we're at a point right now where maybe a few years ago, maybe, I don't know, it was 10 years ago, there became this new thing called a charity campaign, charity with a D. That was the first company that did it. But now there's Raise and Raised On, and there's many different companies that do it, where they basically... It's called friend raising. So basically, a yeshiva needs to raise $3 million. A Torah anytime, one of the largest yeshivas in the world needs to raise $3 million. Your local shul needs to raise $900,000, whatever it is. And they create these campaigns and people make pages and they email out links and they say, hey, I'm, I'm raising money for my daughter's school. They do amazing work. Can you please help me? And then you click to their page and it says, I'm trying to raise you know, 5,000, I'm trying to raise 10,000, and they encourage all their friends to give. Now, at this point in my life, I probably will get different forms of messages, emails, WhatsApps, WhatsApp statuses. I'll probably get in a single year, um, maybe 300 charity campaigns thrown, you know, sent to me. And sometimes, you know, someone will send me a personal WhatsApp, but you can literally tell that they literally just took a WhatsApp they were cutting and pasting, and they just put my name in. This lady, form letter, which is fine. 
And sometimes you, it, it starts to get, if you are not able to financially respond to every single one of them. And mind you, here's another thing also. A person comes to your door and asks for money. You give him a check, $10, $18. They're not expecting any more. But if a friend sends you a link, it's a little bit harder to give him $10, right? Because he's like, you, you only gave me $10. Yeah. So you almost feel like I, I'm getting 300 of them slung my way. If I were to give $100 to each one of them, that's $30,000 for a $100 donation to each one of them. That's $30,000. Now, mind you, I still have my own synagogue, for example, which just bought a building recently. And so many there's so many organizations that I'm much closer to that I have stuck a responsibilities to. So sometimes somebody, not you, I'm talking to me, might feel a little bit overwhelmed by all the people asking for tzedakah. And sometimes some people might even resent it a little bit. If you send me a stock letter with my name on the top, and expect me to give. I haven't spoken to you. And I, I, I literally got a charity campaign request yesterday from somebody that I have not said a word to probably in over a decade. You know, I'm not even sure how he found my email address. You know, if they like, he, he lives in a different country. You know, we haven't spoken in forever. And, and, and it's for a great cause, mind you. It's for a great cause. It's for an organization that gives, provides free tutoring. And for children who need to come home and, you know, learn and their parents are not able to learn with them and they want to they want to be able to teach these kids Torah, but there's no one to learn with them. So this organization funds paying for tutors and mentors. It's an amazing organization. I haven't spoken to the guy in, in over a decade. So I want to this week's Parsha deals with this issue, the issue of charity campaigns. Let me first make a bracha on this incredible um, Soda, thank you very much, Rabbi Levine, for uh, bringing it over before. And Baruch Ata Adonai Elohim Alam Shachol Nei Amen. All righty, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. In this week's Torah portion, Parshas Naso, there is a verse. We are now in the book of Bamidbar, Numbers, chapter five, verse ten. It's talking about people giving the various. Charities, and it says, "V'ish es kadashav lo yiyeh," and a man, his holy items shall be his. We'll explain what that means in a moment. Asher yitain la kohen lo yiyeh, that which a man gives to the kohen will be his. Now the idea is like this: there's a concept called tovas hanaa, which means. You have the benefit of choosing where your tzedakah dollars go. By Torah law, one is required to give all sorts of charitable donations, especially in an agrarian society. In an agrarian society, which, by the way, 90% of the world was farmers back in the day, a person would have to give truma, which was about 2%. And then he'd have to give Meiser Rishon, which was about 10%. And then Meiser Shani or Meiser Ani, which was an additional 10%. He had to leave over the corner of his field for the poor. He had to leave behind his gleanings, whatever he left behind in the field when he was harvesting. There were so many different things that a person had to give. Now, if you were a farmer and you had a massive field and you had, I don't know, 10,000 bushels of grapes, you would be giving out a lot of grapes altogether about whatever, let's call it 20%, you know, you'd be end up giving out. So that's 200 bushels of grapes. Who do you give it to? Now, there are certain things that you are not allowed to give to anybody. The corner that you leave behind, anybody who comes and gets it, gets it. And the same thing when you leave behind things in the field, there's the law of gleaners, right? Of leket, shikha, things that you leave behind in the field. As a matter of fact, there's two organizations you might be familiar with here in Detroit. One is called gleaners and one is called forgotten harvest they both do the same type of work and they're both named after this biblical requirement that whatever you left behind in the field whatever was the forgotten harvest you would leave behind for the gleaners the poor people the gleaners were the people who would come afterwards to glean to pick up that which was what remained in the field now you don't have a choice of who you give those to those get picked up by any poor person who comes and and collects it however of the 20 percent that you're giving 
your first tithing, your second tithing, your truma, you have the right to give it to whoever you want. For example, you might have a son-in-law who's a Kohen. You give him your truma. You might have a son-in-law who's a Levi, right? You're a Yisrael. You might have a son-in-law who's a Levite, and you give him your first, first tithing, which goes to the Levite. So you have the right, a person who has holy things that are supposed to go to charity, they belong to you. You get to decide where you're going to give them. Even today, we have a concept called giving giving one tithe of your income to charity. You have a right to decide where do you want to give it? Do you want to give all of it to Partners Detroit, who makes the amazing lunch and learns on Thursday? Maybe you do, but you don't have to. You can give only 5% of it and give the 5% to other places. You get to decide where you want to give your charity. And of course, there's actually laws. There are, I, there's a guy that I've been studying with. There's a special book, a safer called The Laws of Sadaka and Meister, The Laws of Charity and Tithing. And you go through, there, there are some laws about who you should give your charitable donations to. There's an order of preference. For example, if you have a family member who's struggling, don't give money to get your name on a building. Give your money to your brother who's struggling and can't marry off his kid. There's an order to these charities. Another very important one, of course, is giving charity to those who you have hakara satov to. Give charity to those that you have a sense of appreciation towards. Schools that you studied in, schools that your children studied in, schools, you know, yeshivas, your own synagogue, and so on and so forth. But a man, his holy items, he gets to decide where he's going to give it. And then the end of the verse seems to say the same thing again. A man, his holy items, he gets to decide where he's going to give it. That which he gives to the Kohen will be his, which even sounds more strange. Because you just said it will be his, it will be his. In the same verse, it says it twice. In the same verse, it says it will be his, it will be his twice. And then... Next, it says, that which you give to the Kohen will be to you. No, that which you give to the Kohen will be to the Kohen. What does that mean? So, ladies and gentlemen, the Gemara has what to say about this. The Gemara says like this. Rashi brings the first part. It says, kadashav lo Your holy things will be to you. So you get your type of your income. You made $100,000. You're supposed to, if you can. Again, if a person can't support his family, he's not required to give miser. He still is required to give tzedakah. Miser is, is tithing. Now, again, there's, there's, there's laws about this. If a person cannot support his own family, he is not necessarily required to give tithing. However, fascinatingly, everybody is required to give tzedakah. Tzedakah just means charity. Everybody's required to give tzedakah because part of being a human being is giving to other human beings. I've seen this with my own eyes where... At the Kotel, sometimes people recently, actually, I was just at the Kotel this recent trip, and there, I don't know if there's a, a new Israeli policy or something, but I didn't really, there was not many people at, at the Kotel collecting as there was in previous years. Could be I just came in off times. I don't know. There were people up the steps, and, but whatever it was. But I remember seeing at the Kotel someone collecting money, and I, I gave him, you know, so, some money. And then I see him giving it to somebody else. It's <laughs> not like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? I gave him too, by the way. Don't worry. I gave him. You don't got to give him. I'll give you. You give, you give, you keep it. But no. He may be so poor that he has to collect money like this, you know, with his hand out. But at the end of the day, he's a human being. And human beings have to give in order to feel human. So even a person who's so poor that he has to collect money has a requirement to give, not, not necessarily all of his money, but not even tenth of a, a, you know, a tithe. But he's got to give to duck. So Rashi brings like this. The Torah requires you to give all sorts of tithes. But you get the right to determine who you give it to, which means that nobody can come and get it from you. There is no, the tax man cometh in Judaism, right? In America, this is a beautiful thing in America. In America, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Department of Defense just did it, their fifth audit, okay? Every few years, the Department of Defense, which gets a massive, massive, chunk of our yearly budget, the U.S. federal budget. Department of Defense gets a massive chunk of it, right? We far outspend anybody else in the world by a, by a long shot, right? So the Department of Defense, once in a while, they say, we got to see where all this money is going. 
So recently they did the fifth audit on the Department of Defense. They said, okay, we're giving you billion, hundreds of billion, $900 billion this year. You know, so every five years or so, we got to do an audit, see where the money's going. And guess what? The Department of Defense has failed every single audit, which means they come back and they say, we have no clue where all that money went. And this is literally what happens. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? You can imagine a corporation like this. If you had a corporation that people were investing on a stock corporation, like a publicly traded company, and their money was going into a black hole and they couldn't account for it, they'd be slammed by the SEC, by the Securities and Exchange Commission, every kind of fine possible. The Department of Defense could not, in the most recent audit, it wasn't like they were missing a, you know, a couple hundred million dollars. It wasn't like they were missing a couple hundred billion dollars. They were missing either 2.3 or 3.2 trillion dollars, which is a number so staggering none of us can even comprehend it. But that's the amount that the Department of Defense just couldn't, I, I don't know where it went. You gave it to us, you, the American taxpayer, gave it to us, and uh, we're... we're uh, we're not sure where it went. Just $2.3 trillion, 3.2, 2.3, whatever. You know, whatever. The money is gone. I mean, we're not sure where it is. Unbelievable. But the IRS is a little different. The tax man cometh, and America is pretty, pretty strong. The tax man cometh. If you sent out over the course of the year $600 in Zelle or in Venmo or Cash App, Last year, they were able to block it. I think this year it goes into effect. If you send out $600 to your friends, you know, you, you, someone, you know, borrowed, you borrowed money from somebody, you paid it back. On, they want you to account for every penny that you send you, on your own money. You, had a, you have an account and you send somebody $200, right? Every week, you know, like I have an event on two, Thursday nights. And a lot of times I'll go pick up the food for it. It'll be sponsored by somebody. The person will pay me back. So I get 180 from this guy, $200 from that guy. What I do, it's small money, but over the course of the year, it counts up. The IRS may come to me and say, hey, over the course of the year, you got, you know, $10,000. Show us the receipts. You just, just, they can't find $3.2 trillion. Taxman cometh, taxman cometh. In Judaism, there is no taxman cometh. There's no IRS. Hashem says, give tzedakah. Who can come and collect it? Nobody. Hashem says, I'm just going to, I'm going to trust you that you're going to give it. However, the Torah says something fascinating. V'ishes kadashav lo if you don't give the money, you're supposed to give a tithe. If you don't give the tithe, the Isha's Kadashav, the holy amount that you're supposed to give the tithe, if you don't give it, then lo yiyah, that's what you'll end up having in the end. Which means eventually, God says, I'm not sending the tax men after you, but if you don't properly give your charities, then your money, you'll see your money going down and going down and going down until all you'll have is that 10. You used to have a thousand bushels, but you didn't give, you didn't give, you didn't give. And God says, I'm going to invest in somebody else. I'm going to invest in somebody else who's going to take care of my children. So God sends his investment elsewhere and your money, your fields are producing less until you only have a hundred bushels, which was what you were supposed to give in tithe. So that's what it says. Next. However, if you give to the Kohen, the Pasuk says, Lo then to you there will be, as the Gemara says, Lo Mamon Harbe, you'll have a lot of money. God says, if you do give your charity, you will have a lot of success from it. So let me read to you another Pasuk. This one is from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 15, verse Yud, uh, verse 10. Nason Titain Lo, you shall surely give to him. This is a Torah talking about giving to a poor person. You should not find it hard in your heart. Don't, don't feel bad. Don't say, ah, oh, why am I giving all this money? <laughs> because it is exactly for this reason that Hashem will bless you in all your works and all the handiwork of your hand. Hashem says, if you give to the Kohen, if you give to the poor, if you give to the synagogues, if you give to Jewish education, if you give your charity, Hashem says, I will give you more success. Don't find it bad in your heart when you give somebody money because it is exactly because you give money that Hashem will send the blessing. Which comes down to this. 
Charity is a business deal. God says, imagine someone would offer you to sell you Bitcoin for the prices of Bitcoin 10 years ago. You know how much Bitcoin was 10 years ago? Less than $100. Do you know how much Bitcoin is today? $27,000 plus minus. Imagine someone would sell you Bitcoin at the price of 10 years ago. Would you not run for it? Absolutely. I'll buy whatever stock you have. I'll buy as much as you've got. Hashem says, when you give charity, it's the greatest business deal you ever got. Because God is telling you, if you give the charity, it's big biglau hadover hazeh. Let's read it inside again. Because it is for this thing that Hashem will bless you with all your works and everything you put your hand into. You want the Midas touch? God says, no problem. I can give you the Midas touch. Here's what you do. Give, give charity. It's an incredible business deal. Which means that when somebody reaches out to you because they have a charity campaign, and they send you a form text message, and they just change the name at the top, and it says Levy, and there's nothing personal there at all. And it just, they wrote your name, Levy, and then they wrote the whole exact letter they're sending out to everybody else. Can you please join me? I'm collecting money for my daughter's school, which is an incredible school. They take such good care of the children. You know what your response should be? Wow! thank you for offering to sell me Bitcoin at $100. Now, you may not have the ability to send him money. You may not have $100 in your pocket to buy Bitcoin at $100. What a shame. It's the best deal in the world. I unfortunately don't have the money to buy it. Could you imagine? Could you imagine someone was offering to sell you a bar of gold? Gold is rocketing right now, right? Gold is close to $2,000. Maybe it's even above $2,000. I think it's around $2,000 an ounce, 1950, whatever it is, right? Imagine someone comes to you with a bar of gold, 100 ounces of gold. That's worth $190,000, okay? And he says, I'll sell you this bar of gold for $30,000. And let's say he's legit. Like you you test it, you bring it to your friend who's a chemist or a jeweler, and and you test it. This is legitimate gold. This is 99.999% pure gold. It's a real bar, 100 ounces of gold. It is heavy. And he said, I'll sell it to you for 30 grand. Now, the problem is, if someone came to me, I would probably scramble around trying to beg borrowers, beg or borrow. <laughs> exactly, thou shalt not steal. Right? I, would, <laughs> I would try to beg or borrow to get that $30,000 because he's offering me a hundred. $95,000 bar of gold for 30 grand. Let's say I can't come up with it. He says, I got a deadline. This campaign is over by 10 p.m. tonight. And I'm like, wow, I've got a few hours. I'm running around trying to find a way to do it. Can't do it. I come back to him. I say, listen, man, I am so sorry. I, I, really, I can't tell you how thankful I am. I wish you'll extend this opportunity to me to, again in the future. Unfortunately, I, I just I, I couldn't get the funds together to do it. That should be your attitude when someone offers a charity campaign to you. Even if he didn't speak to you in the last 10 years, even if he lived in a different country, even if he, again, I, I yesterday, maybe two days ago, I got this from somebody and God willing, because I prepared this class, that's why I say I'm talking to me, not to you. It's like, should I give? Should I not give? Of course I should give. And I haven't heard from him in 10 years. And we live in different countries. But he's given me the opportunity, selling me a bar of gold for $30,000. Am I a fool? Of course I'll take the deal. And if I can't take the deal, at least I could take the time to respond to him and say, thank you so much for thinking of me. I hope you'll think of me again in the future. This year, I I can't do it. I don't have the $30,000. I don't have the money to do it. But I really hope you'll think of me again in the future. That should be your attitude. That's what stuck is all about. And when it comes to tithing, it's even more, it's even more pronounced. 
you're not allowed to test God. You're not allowed to test God. You can't say, God, I'm going to uh, dive in every day, three times a day. And in honor of that, you got to make the Lions go to the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> Some people would even doubt if even God could do that. But of course, we know that God is capable of anything. And God and God alone <laughs> can make the Lions go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Evidently. Evidently there's, there's no other force in the world. No amount of training. No amount of whatever. The only force in the world that can get the Lions to the Super Bowl is God. But you can't say to God, I'm going to, I'll dive in three times a day. I'll pray three times a day on the condition that you make the, um, I mean, that you make the Super Bowl, um, that you make the Lions go to the Super Bowl. Give me one second. Something's going on with this, with this tape. Hold on a second. Oh, man. This is the second time I'm using a brand new SD card, and every time I used it, okay, it is what it is. Okay, that is our attitude towards charity. Okay, just an interesting story. There was a widow who once came to the Slutskarov. The Slutsker Rav was Rav Isser Zalman Meltzer. Rav Isser Zalman Meltzer, one of the great giants of the previous generation. Rav Isser Zalman Meltzer was born in the year 1870 and passed away in the year 1953. He was born in the city of Mir in Lithuania. And first he learned, or may, it may have been Belarus at that time, <laughs> they were horse trading there. Uh, here, you get Mir, you get... The, the, the borders were constantly changing. He was born in the city of Mir, he studied in the Mir Yeshiva, then he went to Valozhin. He studied there under the Nitziv, or the great Reverend Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. And eventually in 1897, he went to go lead the Yeshiva in Slutsk at the age of the tender age of 27. Eventually he made his way to Eretz Yisrael, and he was one of the great rabbis of old Yerushalayim, of old Jerusalem. One day, a poor lady came to him and said, I'm, I'm a widow. I don't have any children. I have no, in the city, or maybe she didn't have any, I don't know. She said, I have no means of support. She said, I go out every day. I try to buy some vegetables in the wholesale market and sell them. I I, I, I can't make ends meet. I'm, I'm making a few kopecks a day, and it's simply not enough. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. The rabbi said to her, look, let's make a deal. I want you to take out, a, to have a little, get a little stubby, you know, pencil, get a little pencil. Just write down on some piece of paper, a sack, whatever you can find. Write down whatever you make each day. And then on Friday, I want you to bring me 10% of the profits. And I'll give it to the poor people here in town. And she says, Rabbi, I don't even have enough money for me. He says, great. Then it's not a problem. You don't have enough money for you anyway. Just let's try it out. Let's see what happens. The first week she comes, she brings him, like we're talking about, like pennies. She brings him, you know, 17 rusted out pennies, kopecks, whatever they were called there. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'll make sure to give it out. The next week she comes back, she brings him 30 pennies. Next week, a dollar. Again, this is in dollars. It was whatever the, the lira, whatever, the, you know, the Turkish lira, whatever they were using back then. But the point is this lady, every single week, the number went up until she was finally financially independent. Amazing. What a deal. What a deal Tzedakah is. What an opportunity it is. And that's why, that's our attitude. Sometimes, again, a person may get deluged with requests. And sometimes they may feel like a little overwhelmed. The most important thing to remember is that what we're being offered is the greatest deal ever provided to mankind. That's one idea I want to refer talk about. Next. In this week's Torah portion, we have the story of the Nisim, the tribal leaders. The tribal leaders were in the, in the time of the uh, tabernacle, in the time of the Mishkan. When the Mishkan was first inaugurated, the tribal leaders each went ahead and brought a offering. And the Torah goes out of its way to describe the offerings of all the tribal leaders. Now. Rashi 
the Torah here is incredibly loquacious, incredibly, incredibly verbose. <laughs> Generally speaking, the Torah is known for its brevity. Brevity means shortness. As they say, never use a long word when a more diminutive one will do. Okay, <laughs> so the Torah is known for its brevity. For its shortness. There are times where we learn entire halachos out of entire sets of laws out of one extra word in the Torah. Sometimes even out of one extra letter. Yet here, the Torah repeats the offerings brought by the 12 tribal leaders in exact detail. Again and again. And again and again. And again 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 and again. I said that 12 times. You think that's a lot? I just used two words. And again. 12 times. The Torah uses six verses 12 times. My One of my sons just had his birthday this past week. And I think he will probably, because his birthday is right after Shavuos, depending on the year, he's likely to have Parsha's Nasso as his Bar Mitzvah Parsha. That's the longest Parsha in the Torah. However, my other son has one of the other longest Parshas, not Nasso. My other son has Parsha's Noah. Now, Parshas Noach is about 165 verses. I don't remember exactly. Somewhere around 165. Parshas Nasso is 176. However, Parshas Nasso is much easier because there's all that repetition. There's 72 verses that are the same thing again and again and again and again. Now, Rashi, because all the leaders, all the tribal leaders brought the exact same carbon, the exact same uh, offering. Rashi goes into great length and detail into what each part of these carbonos meant. There was, you know, let's, let's just, I'll, I'll read you one example, first of all, so you just know what gets repeated again and again and again and again. On the fourth day, the leader of Reuven, Elitzur ben Shteyor, his offering was one silver bowl, its weight, 130 shekels, and one silver basin of 70 shekels in the sacred shekels, both of them filled with fine flour mixed with oil for a meal offering, one golden ladle of 10 shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, one sheep in its first year for an elevation offering, one he-goat for a sin offering, and for the feast peace offering, two cattle, five rams, five goats, five he-goats, five sheep in their first year. This is the offering of Elitzor ben Shteyor. And then it repeats that exact thing all 12 times. So Rashi goes into detail going through what each one of those things meant. Now you'll notice there was only one sin offering there. That was the he-goat. Seir izim echad lechatas. One he-goat for a sin offering. Rashi tells us, what is this he-goat for a sin offering that they brought? And he tells us that it was a it was meant to be an atonement for Joseph's brothers who sold him and then took off his tunic and dipped it in the blood of a goat and brought it back to their father and said, look, Joseph is dead. Okay? So for an atonement for that, they all had to bring their he-goats. Now, there's only one problem. Not every one of the tribal leaders should be bringing that. If you're the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin was not involved at all in the sale of Joseph. Furthermore, Joseph wasn't involved in the sale of Joseph. And Joseph had two children who became tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. They also brought a he-goat for the sin offering. So why are they bringing, if the he-goat for the sin offering was for the, uh, the sin of the tribals of the tribes for selling Joseph, why does Benjamin bring one? Why does Ephraim and Manasseh bring one? And the answer is that there's a very big difference between the rest of the nations of the world and the Jewish people. The rest of the nations of the world are like a flock, a herd, a herd of cattle. Let's say you have a herd of cattle, and one of the cattle gets picked off by a hungry mountain lion. Now the herd is missing one. Missing a calf. They always pick the the young ones who are too weak to run fast. The herd is missing one calf. Is it still a herd? Still a herd. Still functioning just fine? Yeah, it's just worth a little bit less. It's missing one calf. The Jewish people are not like that. The Jewish people are, are like a watch. If you open up someone's mechanical watch and you just pull out one spring, 
one spring. Is the watch still a watch? No, the watch doesn't function anymore. The Jewish people are not an amalgamation of nations. The Jewish people are one unit. Just because you did this sin and I did that sin doesn't mean that we're not all responsible to make sure everyone's taken care of. So the tribe of Binyamin and the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh bring offerings for a sin committed by the other tribes because if we're not told the watch doesn't work, who cares who did the sin? We all need to be uplifted. The people in that community, da, 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 da. The people, no, 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 there's not that community, this community. We are one. Yisrael, the Orisa, the Kuchabrichu, Chadhu. The Jewish people and, the, and God and the Torah are all one. Now, there's two different meanings to that. One meaning is that we're all connected. God and the Torah and the Jewish people are connected. The Torah is the glue that connects God and the Torah and the Jewish people, and that creates one clump. But also, God is a one is an item, it's a singular item. There's nothing like God. The Torah, there's nothing like the Torah. There's no wisdom like the Torah, and there's no people like the Jewish people. We are a unique and singular nation. We can't say, oh, that's his sin. That's his problem. Let him deal with it. Everything is our problem because we're a watch. And if anything's missing, we're all missing. That's one idea. Next. When it goes through the order of the bringing of the, of the offerings, the first tribal leader is Yehuda. He brings on the first day. On the second day, so the first day is the tribe of Judah, and his leader was Nachshon ben Aminadav. Who happened to have also been the first person to go into the water, the raging waters when they split the sea? Nachshon ben Aminada. Mm-hmm. However, on the second day, on the second day, the person who brought the offering was Nasanel ben Suar, the leader of Yisachar. Hikriv is Carbono, he brought his offering. Now, if you notice, they said the word Hikriv twice there. On the second day, Nisan al brought an offering. And then the next verse says, He brought his offering. Why the double language here? So Rashi says, Rashi says that after Yehuda brought, the tribe of Reuben came and said, wait a second. I think it's my turn to be next. Maybe Judah is first because the king is going to come out of Judah. But I'm the eldest. Shouldn't I bring next? And Moshe tells him, no, actually not. Hashem said it's going to be, the offerings are going to be brought in the order of the flags, and Yisachar is next. It says the word Hikriv, Hikriv, twice for two reasons. There was two reasons why Yisachar was second. Number one, he was the, 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 the tribe that was destined to be the Torah scholars. And number two, it was because it was his idea to bring the offerings. Let's see it in here. <laughs> they were the one who gave the idea to all the other tribal leaders when they were inaugurating the temple came along Nisano Bensuar the leader of the tribe of Yisachar and said hey guys wouldn't it be nice if we all brought an offering on behalf of our whole tribe to inaugurate the temple and therefore he was honored to go second. And this is the idea that even when you give a good idea, Hashem counts it to you and makes sure you get repaid. Not only when you do a good deed, even when you profess, when you put out there a good idea, when you recommend to somebody, for example, you say to your friend, hey, I go to this lunch and learn on Thursdays. It's awesome. Why don't you come with? Just for that alone, whether the person ends up coming or not, God says, I want to reward you for that. Nisano Bansuar gave the idea that we should give these offerings. Hashem says, you're going to get rewarded. You're going second right after Judah. I want to tell you an amazing, amazing story that illustrates this idea that when we give people support, good ideas, Hashem makes sure to reward us. During the second intifada, it was a terrible time in Israel. I'm actually right now, we, we just came back from Israel. We were on a trip there. And one of the tour guides recommended a book called Son of Hamas. And it's a story about a guy who was literally the son of one of the founders, the seven founders of Hamas, and how he ended up turning and, and helping the Israelis. 
he actually ended up becoming uh he didn't become a jew he became a christian but it, it's his whole story it's, it's fascinating and i didn't get to the end of it yet but it, it's already fascinating and he talks about the launching of the second intifada and he said basically there was nothing to go on there was no problems whatsoever arafat had been offered everything by i think it was shimon paris shimon paris came to arafat and offered him everything he said i'll give you half of jerusalem i'll give you the entire west bank what they call the West Bank, which is really called Yehuda Shomron. It's amazing. Jews are not, according to the whole world, Jews are not supposed to be living in Yehuda. <laughs> right? We're Yehudim. We're Jews. Yehuda, from the word Yehudim. We're not supposed to be living in the area that's known as Yehuda for thousands of years. They don't call it Yehuda, Judea and Samaria because it sounds really bad saying the Jews can't live in Judea. So now they call it the West Bank. It's a new term they just made up to make it sound like it's something that, that belongs to somebody else. It's called Judea and Samaria. But anyway, Shimon Paris offered Yasser Arafat everything. I'll give you Judea. We'll kick all the Jews out of Judea. I'll give you Samaria. We'll kick all the Jews out of Samaria. I'll give you everything you want. Yasser Arafat left the table. You know why? Because he was making millions off of being this aggrieved, poor Palestinian people. He himself died a massively wealthy person, massively wealthy, while his people were suffering in dire poverty, right? You think about all the monies that have been given to the Palestinians over the years, the hundreds of billions of dollars. And you, you go, go, to, go to the Palestinian areas and see, unfortunately, it's, it's not being used to help the people at all. It's being used to enrich the corrupt leaders. So Yasser Arafat is like, if they give me everything I asked for, then I have no more complaint. But then how am I going to raise money from the whole world and you know, bec- become a billionaire? Like, how, how am I going to do that? So he walked away from the table. And instead, he's like, well, I got I to gotta make it. It looks really bad right now. I just walked away from the table. So they looked for an, they literally, they looked for an excuse. And the son of Hamas, he writes it. He was on the inside. He saw what was happening. He went with his father, who was one of the founders of Hamas, to go launch the Second Intifada. And they found some stupid excuse. And on that, they launched the Second Intifada and killed hundreds. Horrible. In the Second Intifada, there was a soldier who was patrolling one morning in a remote part near Hebron. And there was an Arab sniper who shot him and ran away. The soldier falls down and he starts bleeding out. And he couldn't even reach his, his walkie-talkie. And he's lying there on the ground, bleeding out. Unbelievably, unbelievably, another soldier who wasn't even supposed to be there Somehow, whatever, he was, he was walking through that area. He wasn't even supposed to be there, but he sees a soldier lying on the floor. He comes over. Immediately, he starts performing first aid and CPR on him. And he literally, he stays with this guy. He calls for backup. They bring in the, 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 the ambulances. They get him off to the hospital. And the soldier stayed with the wounded soldier in the hospital. And they told him at the hospital, had you been there 10 minutes later, this, this guy would have been dead. So he stays, he stays, he stays. He sees that the soldier is stabilized. He says, I got to get back to my base. And he disappears. Now the parents of the boy who was shot, whose name was Hananel, they were from Kiryat Malachi. And they were there at the hospital. And suddenly this guy disappeared. This angel who saved their son disappeared. So they're trying to figure out who saved their son. Did anybody know who, who was the soldier? Who was there? They strike, they're calling the base. They cannot find out who was the soldier who saved their son? And they literally, they called the army. They called, it's like this guy disappeared. Maybe he was an angel. But they decide, they owned a little makola. They owned like a little store, a shop in Kiryat Malachi. And they put up a big sign that says, on this and this date, our son was patrolling outside of Hebron when he was shot by a murderous terrorist. He was left to die, and he would have died if not for the incredible heroic efforts of a young soldier who came and performed CPR and first aid and stayed with him. We don't know who that soldier is. If you know who it is, please help us out. And they told everybody they could. They told they constantly were asking about it, but they figured at least they'll leave the store, this sign in the store. About a year and a half later, a woman comes into the store, and she's buying, she's buying a few items. This woman is from Beersheba, so she doesn't come to Kiryat Malachi often. And she sees the sign suddenly, and she starts to tremble. 
And she says, that's my son. That's my son. And the lady behind the counter was the mother of the wounded soldier. She says, that's your son? <laughs> and she says, yeah, that's my son. Let me call him up right now because he came. I remember he came home about a year and a half ago at the end of the weekend when he was given some time for to go home with his family. He came home and he told us that week that he was walking and there was a, a, a soldier there and he performed CPR and he went with the guy to the hospital. That, that's my son. So they call up and the mother calls up the son. He says, I'm sitting here in Kira Malachi. There's a family, a soldier. Is that you? He says, yeah, that was me. He says, can you come? The family would like to meet you. He says, yeah, we're going to come. The mother says, we're going to make the biggest suda soda. We're going to make this biggest feast of, of, of thankfulness. We're so appreciative. If not for your son, our son would be dead. We're going to make a big, big feast. Let's make a big event out of this. We want to show our Akar our deep appreciation to your son. So they start working on the planning the right date, and it's going to be an amazing event. At this point, the mother of the savior soldier turns to the lady from behind the counter and he says, she says to him, you know, there's a reason why I came into your store today. We've met before. Says, really? We met before? Didn't you say you're from Beersheba? Says, yep, I am from Beersheba, but we met before. A little over 20 years ago. A little over 20 years ago, I was in a very, very low point in my life. I had had a child but the father abandoned me. Sorry, I was pregnant with a child. And the father abandoned me. I didn't have family who was supporting me. It was a very difficult pregnancy. And I was here in Kirat Malachi. And I just came to buy a, a cold drink. I wasn't feeling well. And you were just, you were standing behind the counter. And you were so nice to me. And I started talking to you. And you started asking me questions. How are you doing? Where are you from? And I just, I don't know. I felt like you were an open ear. So I just opened up and I just told you everything that was going on. And I basically told you that, you know, I'm not in a healthy place right now. I'm not in a good place. And, you know, I've got this baby. I'm, I'm it's not an easy pregnancy. And I'm, I think I'm going to abort the baby. And you said to me, you said to me, what can I do to help? And you got involved in my life and you got me some money and you got me help back in Beersheba in my hometown. You found people who would be there for me, who would help me. And I kept that child, and that child saved your son's life. Sometimes all you have to do is be the person who gives another person the good idea. That's worth rewarding too. Nassau Bensur gave the idea of bringing the offerings. He gets a very special coveted spot because he gave the good idea. So everything you can do not just to do, but even just to encourage to do, is incredibly, incredibly meaningful. And Hashem will repay you for that many times over. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being awesome. Have a wonderful week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.